0: I'm Mark Haywood, and this is a bonus behind-the-scenes look at the end of the line. When I began the project, I didn't have a fully-formed sense of what it was or what it could be. If I'm honest, the motivation for me was simply a case of scratching an itch. But the more people I spoke to, the more women I spoke to, the more stories I heard, powerful stories, about how we treat women who don't have kids. The audio you're about to hear was recorded in Los Angeles in late December 2019. I just recorded episode 8, Mona, with the wonderfully talented Romy Park, with whom I'd been wanting to work for several years. With episode 8 in the can, I spoke to her about the inspiration for the project and how important I felt it was. As you'll hear... At that point, I decided to finish 12 stories and then move on to another subject. I'm glad I didn't, because during 2020, it became clear that there were far more than 12 stories to cover. I'm delighted to announce that we'll soon be back with Series 2, and we have some stunning stories and performances to share with you. For now, though, here are two voices from Clear Lake Recording Studios in Burbank, back when things were completely different.
1: Hi, this is Romy Park here. I just finished my delightful session with the wonderful Mark Haywood. Hello, Mark. Welcome.
0: Hello, Romy. You're too kind. Thank you very
1: much. (laughs) Not being kind, as I said on the thing, I am um, quite honest. (laughs) So (laughs) that's East Coast for you. So I would like to know, tell me more about this series. You said it was an anthology and there were how many different actresses?
0: So it's, Anthology audio fiction is is not really a thing so we're making it a thing and this first series is it features 12 female characters all of whom have one thing in common which is well more than one thing in common but the, the big thing they have in common is that they don't have children and they talk about that from a variety of different experiences so some of them are angry about the way they get treated others are kind of really reflective because they're of an age now where it's not biologically possible for them to have kids. Some of them are women who are worried about passing on a hereditary mental health problem to their children. Some of them are just adamant they don't want, never wanted and never will want kids. But it's really shining a light on characters who traditionally inhabit the fringes of a story like the single aunt or the elderly spinster who never had kids and now is a crazy cat lady, and it's making them front and center. It's it's putting them at the heart of the show. So the idea was to create twelve episodes of around fifteen minutes in length, called the end of the line. And the end of the line is a, a line that's in one of the um, one of the monologues, and it features a lady who has just broken up with her older partner because. He wants kids and she's not sure if she does. But one of the things that he says to her is that if he doesn't have a kid, it's the end of the line for his family name because he's the only child in the relationship, in in the family. And she's like, well, okay, but if we were to get married, what happens to my name? You know, it's it's about the hypocrisy of, of society towards women that dare, God forbid, that dare not to have children, because for some reason we are conditioned to think that women exist for one purpose and one purpose alone, which is to have more children. Yeah, (laughs) which is to breed. Yeah. And when you shine a light on that, you realize that there are a lot of people out there that don't want kids, that don't think having kids is a good thing, given anything from the state of the world to, you know, where we are in terms of climate, where we are in terms of the availability of resources, et cetera, et cetera. So the more people I spoke to about this project, the more stories I got given, the more these incredible actresses said they wanted to be a part of it because they had something really important to say about this particular issue and because a lot of people are sick of being viewed as baby machines, you know, quite frankly. And the inspiration for this, I guess, was, you know, my wife and I don't have kids and that was a deliberate choice. Neither of us really wanted that to happen. And I was just appalled by the way that she would get treated by people who would make some kind of comment on that and some kind of social observation. And bizarrely, ironically, it never really bothered her, but it made me kind of really angry. So I thought, well, how can I use my powers for good, you know, instead of evil? So I started writing the stories down. and And when was this? This was probably late last year. I pitched this idea to an actress friend of mine who'd said, look, she was looking for a, an audition piece. And I said, well, I'll write something for you. It's, it's something I have in mind. It's about a woman that doesn't have kids. She's about to break up with her boyfriend and go home for Christmas. And she is predicting what her family will have to say about the fact that she's broken up with the dream guy, right? He's got everything. He's, he's only ever been really nice to her. He's got a great job, a great house. He would offer her everything but it's clear he wants to have a family and she doesn't, or at least she's not sure if she does. And she thinks it's absolutely something you should be sure about either way. So rather than lead him on, she breaks up with him. And as she sat at the train station waiting to go home, she just imagines the crap she's going to get from her family at having done this. So I then told that story to a bunch of other people who said, so what are you working on? And the reaction was incredible. People were falling over themselves to say, I want to tell you my story because I am absolutely sick of being asked, why don't you have kids? Like, I don't know why, where, where do we get off on, on having the right to ask people why they don't have kids? It's because we are conditioned to expect women to be breeders, to be baby machines. And when a woman says, actually, I don't want that. For some reason, we go into meltdown. And I was like, well, there's a very good reason we go into meltdown, it's because we think that's the done thing. And whatever the done thing is, it's your right to choose whether you want to have a kid or not. And there are many good reasons for having kids and many good reasons for not having kids. So, really, what we set out to do was tell, and it's 12, it doesn't have to be 12, that's not really a, a thing, but we just said 12 remarkable women, 12 incredible stories that we would release as episodic audio fiction and then what we would do is we would move on to a different theme or issue like sexuality or gender or diversity or whatever it would be we would try and do two or three of these series every year uh, and build an audience we've just started with an issue that really seems to resonate with a lot of people and we're not saying that having kids is a bad thing we're not you know casting aspersions on so it's an individual choice. It's an individual choice.
1: And no one else has the right to say your choice is the wrong choice.
0: Correct. Correct. But it's almost as if, you know, when you do something that's different to this, This I'm using kind of quotes here, the done thing. If you do something different, that is immediately treated with suspicion and in, sometimes hostility by people because you're doing something different. If we all do the same thing, then we're all complicit in it. And it is the done thing. Whereas if you make a life choice to say, you know what, I'm not going to have kids or I'm not going to get married or I'm not going to settle down or whatever, that's your choice. For some reason, that is treated with suspicion. So I wanted to shine a light on that. And I want to make, and I'm not setting out, well, I guess I am setting out to be deliberately provocative. I want people to feel uncomfortable about the way they may have treated women with regards to this particular issue in the past, because the questions never end. Even if you have a kid, the questions are like, well, you know, when are you going to have another one? You know, when are you going to have a third? You can't just have one. That's cruel. Well, wh- why is it cruel to just have, you know, one? It's expensive bringing a child into the world. And if that's what you want to do, that's great. But it's not okay to give somebody crap for choosing not to do that. And that's really what we wanted to, to, to explore.
1: It makes you kind of think, you know, back in the day when, like you said, it was, you were expected, it was a woman's job to have right. children and the, the man's job to... You know, provide, provide, carry on the family name is makes you think how many women back then did not want children and yet were pressured and felt like that was the only course of action they had. And even though, yes, it is still taboo to say, yeah, I don't want kids and people do do still look at you as if you have 12 heads when you say that it is at least more acceptable as opposed to back then, like you said, all of a sudden you're the spinster. Yeah. But it also makes me think of how many bad parents there were and how many fucked up kids they might have raised because <laughs> because they never wanted kids. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and so it was forced upon them. And I do think that if – when it is your choice, like you said, if it is your choice to have children, then at least it is your choice and you will – Maybe be a better parent. I'm not saying that there's a rule book on parenting, but at least the desire to be a good parent will be there as opposed to, eh, well, we've done our job.
0: Yes, I completely agree. And it's like, don't you need a license to have a dog? You don't need a license to have a kid, right? It's, it's incredible. And if, if you tell me that you have a child and you're happy and you love it and it's a great relationship, that's cool. I'm really happy for you that that's the choice that you've made. But it doesn't mean. That you're a bad person if you choose to do something different. And also, there's no rule book for parenting. There are a million books on, you know, how to be a better parent or how to, to do whatever. But everyone starts from the same basis, which is you need actually you don't even need a man and a woman anymore, right? You can do this, you can do this incredibly, um, incredibly in a differently. Lab. Yeah, you can do it in <laughs> a lab. You can, you know, you can be dating Mr. Sample59X, Y, yeah. you know, who and that's cool too, but Why is the desire to have a child not treated as equally as the desire not to have a child? I don't know, but I've seen enough hypocrisy and heard enough bullshit that people project onto not necessarily just single women, but women who are in a relationship, women who are even not in a relationship, who do not want children. They are treated despicably by large sections of society, because that's a choice that seems to be at odds with this, this phrase, the done thing. And I think back to, you know, comments that I've had projected about me, such as, well, you know, you don't have to have kids. No, you're right. I don't. I choose not to. Or things like, you'd make a great dad. Okay. How do you know? <laughs> how do you know I'd make a great dad? I'd make a great me, right? and that but not being a dad shouldn't define me just because I'm great with kids doesn't mean I, I want them i look at my sister and her kids and how incredible she is you know with them and her husband too you know they are they're really great parents and i'm kind of you know selfishly kind of really glad that they are because it takes the pressure off me a little bit for not for not having kids so this whole thing was an experiment in Shining a light on the bullshit that women put up with. And I know when I pitched the idea to you, you were like, yeah, I have a lot to say about this. You must have put up with a whole heap of crap in your time about the fact that you don't have children. Or if or if not, you are at least aware that people will be saying it. They may not be saying it to you, but they will be thinking it. They're like, well, you know, she's, she's not getting any younger and now's maybe the time.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because... In Los Angeles, it is a bit different because right. I think people come here and they're so career focused. Mm. Um, having said that, I have been asked, "Oh, do you have kids?" No. Like, why not? Because I fucking hate them. Actually, <laughs> no, I don't. I think that, but no, I don't, I, I'm just kidding. I don't actually hate all kids. I uh, just don't want any. I just don't want any myself. Mm. And truthfully, never have. But there still is, I think, a stigma attached to it is, you know, why are like if, if I'm single, it's like, why are you single? Yeah. Why don't you have kids? Like there must be something wrong with you mm. as opposed to actually it's my choice. I've been in relationships. I've actually been proposed to by a few people and I could have – Been like part of a whatever family unit, you know, have a whole kit and caboodle, white picket fence, two and a half kids, dog. It was never something that I desired. I think I'm so fiercely independent that I don't care if people think I'm a spinster. Yeah. Because it's my choice. Yeah. Because I would much rather be happy alone than be stuck in a miserable relationship. Because when I decide to be in a relationship, it's going to be with the right person. Yeah, totally. And end of story. So I've learned to pretty much, you know, just all the kid comments. Although what I do think is funny is that when you ask a lot of actresses here if they have children, some of them get offended (laughs) because they will say, do I look like a mom? And you're thinking, well, yeah, you do. (laughs) And so and even when you make that transition into going up for mom roles, even if it's just young mom, oh, my God, it's just, you know, the ego that that happens. I it actually never bothered me. Yeah. But I think that's because I'm from a different coast and also, as you know, spent a lot of time in England. So I feel a little more grounded and down to earth.
0: That whole narrative, that word you just used, the spinster. I've always found that really hypocritical, you know why is a oh, sure. why is a spinster something that you feel sorry for something that you know time has passed a spinster by you know she's on a shelf, she lives on her own there's a real negative narrative that fits around it, whereas a bachelor that's that's a cool thing, right so a guy who is a bachelor and maybe it's because guys can reproduce you know way into i mean look at mick jagger right how many kids how many kids is
1: charlie chaplin yeah
0: charlie chaplin you know how many uh, it's it's a it's different for a male but the whole bachelor spinster thing i think is that's at the that's at the heart of the problem in that we tell little girls that they could do anything they want but we, we don't go that far we say you know you could be the first lady. You could be married to the president, or what? Why can't they be the president? The, you know, why not the goddamn president? Right? Why are we telling little girls that the way they are going to grow up is set in stone, and that they're going to fall in love, get married, have kids, be a mom? Right? That's that's really the big problem: is that we perpetuate this narrative throughout our entire lives, and we don't encourage women to sort of break out of that because, God forbid, somebody like you would have a counter-narrative because immediately that would be met with aggression and hostility and the, oh, yeah, she's just an an uber bitch or whatever, you know, whatever it is, that we allow this stuff to happen.
1: Oh, and trust me, I have been accused of that. (laughs) Oh, really? Oh, yeah, because I will stand my ground.
0: Yeah. It's, It's a real shame. And the stories that I've been told, I got told this story by a friend who went to her doctor to talk about long-term contraception options. Now, for a guy, that is in the form of a vasectomy operation, which is reversible. The options for women, they're pretty serious and they're not often reversible, particularly, you know, the full-length option, which is a hysterectomy. That is not reversible. And what's interesting about it is when I dug into it, when a guy goes to talk to a doctor about having a vasectomy, In most cases, they will ask whether the operation is reversible. When a woman talks to a doctor about her options, they rarely ask whether it's reversible because they have already decided that this is a permanent thing they want to happen, which I think is interesting in its own right. But this actress told me a story where she went to her doctor to talk about options and he literally refused to have the conversation with her. He said, no, we're not entertaining that. So almost supporting the myth that that was unethical, that was not in anybody's best interest. You you have actually decided not to talk to this woman about a subject because you believe that it is not in her best interest. Now, medically, you may think that, okay, there are safe ways of doing it, there are extreme ways of doing it, et cetera, et cetera. But who gave you the right to make that choice for her. If you believe she's not capable of making that choice because either she's not able to process that conversation and the options and doesn't really understand what they mean, that's one thing. But you deciding that you are not going to talk to her because you don't believe it's in her best interest, that's, that is you perpetuating the myth. And I was, I was staggered you know, by that and staggered by the fact that she'd have to carry that around you know, with her. So what we're trying to do is is give these stories a voice and, and get them out there. And I'm, I'm pretty confident that there are so many people that will listen to this and go, you've just, that's my story. You have literally just told me my story. I, I really believe there are thousands, if not millions, of women out there who would listen to this and go, I recognize that. You have described that date or you have described that conversation you have described... You know, my mother, one of the actresses I spoke to, told me this story. I think I, I think we were talking about it the other day, where she said she just came out with, my mother always wanted a daughter, she just didn't want the daughter she got, which was, I mean, that's that's so powerful. That's such an amazing, you know, thing to say, that almost as if you have all of these dreams for a child, and then they grow up to be someone who's independent and of their own mind. And that's not what you wanted. You wanted them to be, I don't know, a hockey player or you wanted them to be a gymnast or whatever. And in the end they turn out and they don't want to do any of that. It's almost as if, well, hang on. I wanted a kid, but I wanted a kid, you know, straight from the catalog that was, looked like this, that thought like this, that did all of these things. And now what I've got is this independent thing. I don't know what to do with it, you know? So I think a lot of problems that I see that in stories that I get told come from the fact that you haven't really thought this through. You know, you can't predict what your child is going to grow up to be. You know, all you can do is support it as best, you know, as best you can. But you want a kid that sleeps all the way through the night, that, that gets good grades, that grows up to, you know, cure cancer or whatever. It, and, and you know, you end up not getting not getting that. It's like, why do we never shine a light on that? Why are we so afraid to say, actually, there are some terrible parents out there and having kids is really not the right thing, you know, for you to do. We never say
1: that. And you put them on the rest of society. Thank you so much.
0: (laughs) Yeah. There's one of the things I I liked to explore through this was this character who's in her 50s. She's reflecting on the conversation or the question that she gets asked more than anything else. And there are two. One of them is you know, do you regret not having kids? And I really wanted to put that in because nobody ever asks a parent if they regret having kids. And I'm convinced that any parent that says, I have never had a moment's regret is lying. They are lying. to you. But we never ask that reverse question, you know. And and the other
1: question is... Probably because they know the parents actually probably wouldn't be truthful. Right. Because they, they, they may feel like, oh my God, yeah, I wish I hadn't had any children but they would feel so guilty having admitted that so once you say something out loud it becomes truth yeah. so if you keep it to yourself it's still not true yeah. to them
0: Comple- I, completely yeah. you know completely and and the other question is are you lonely like, well, you know you, you you are equating being single and living on your own with loneliness they are two very separate things and and actually in your world Loneliness is something that we fear. But that's a very different view of the world to being on your own.
1: Alone and loneliness. Yeah. Two different things.
0: Two very, very different things. So I kind of wanted to tell stories that hadn't been told before. It was very clear that I did not want this to be 12 angry women. I didn't want 12 shouty women. I wanted women who were everything from at peace with their decisions to – very clear that this was their choice and that they were in control of it to, you know, compassionate decisions about not wanting to bring up a child, knowing that it may end up inheriting some kind of mental health problem. There's stuff about the climate in there and about, you know, why, why would we do it? I wanted 12 empowered, empowering characters that had something to say about this issue. Now, if they turn out to be angry, that's okay. But that wasn't the starting point because we could have done this and completely and completely screwed this up. And it's, uh, here's another thing, right? Here's a question that I have been asked, which really is at the heart of the problem. People have said to me, well, how are you as a man able to talk about this issue? It's like not having kids is not a, a fundamentally purely female thing, right? There are guys out there who don't yeah. want kids. This it's just the whole hypocrisy of the narrative that the more I hear it, the more I think, well, we're just gonna shine a light on every single bit of it, you know? I mean, let me ask you this, right? So in dating, how quickly does this thing get brought up, the topic of kids?
1: You know, it depends because I think it depends on if the guy just wants to have fun yeah. and screw around. Or if they're potentially looking at you as a lifelong mate. Right. And I will admit that, you know, me not uh, personally not wanting children is sometimes I get scared because I'll meet somebody. And, and yeah, you know, this we have chemistry. And I don't want to bring up the subject of children because I know that could potentially be a deal breaker. Right. So I think it, it depends on the guy. I have been asked, you know right off the bat, you know. So, you know, do you do you want kids someday? Do you like kids? And uh <laughs> and um by the way, ladies, if you actually don't like the guy you want to get out of there, just say if they ask you that question, just say nope. <laughs> They'll never call you again. Um just a few tips there. So, yeah, and but LA is a very different beast. Mm. We are A subculture within a subculture within a subculture here. And I think it's more widely accepted that women can be independent and strong and outspoken. Although I will admit that when I finally started standing up for myself and had the right to stand up for myself, I was accused of being a bitch. And I wasn't being a bitch. So when did all of a sudden an empowered woman become, if, if you're strong and have opinions, that you're a cunt? Yeah. Um, I'm not. I'm really nice, actually.
0: <laughs> there, was a great, um, there was a great SNL sketch on um, recently. It was the episode that Idris Elba hosted. And it's a game show. And they're talking about what roles can you play. So in the middle is Cecily Strong and they say, what what roles can a female play? And she says, I can play Mom, I can play sexy mom, I can play President of the United States but only in a comedy, and I can play teacher who learns from minorities. And it was it was okay, That's it's satire. Funny. But it's so great, you know, that actually when we think about what roles you can play in film or telly or theatre or whatever it is we have already put you in a box and and again that's part of the that is part of the myth you know the first two things she says are mom and sexy mom that's kind of it you are a breeding machine first and then a human being second that's really at the heart of these stories and i think i hope we're going to upset some people but i really hope that particularly women listen to it and go honestly, you have sort of reached into my soul and told my story here because everyone, including you that I've worked with, has wanted to say something about this issue because it's a big, big problem. And, it, and why, why don't we talk about it? Why is, why, why is this, not that it is the first time that this is being done, but why are we having to get to this stage in, you know, on the cusp of 2020, a brand new decade, and these women and these characters have not had their story told. That tells you the size of the problem that we're trying to deal with.
1: You know, I, I asked a, a girl actually last week and she just turned 25. Mm. So she's still young and ripe for breeding. <laughs> <laughs> but No, and I actually asked her, I had told her about this project I was doing and I'd asked her, if you know, do you want kids? And, you know, it was no big deal. It's a girl asking a girl. And I was just curious because I kind of told her my standpoint. And she's like, oh, no. She goes, and I was really afraid to tell my mom, you know, do you, mom, do you care that I actually don't want kids? And apparently her mother was fine with it. But she said something interesting. And she looked at me in earnest and she goes, but is that selfish? Am I being selfish? Right. And I looked at her right back and I said, do not confuse strength with selfishness. Yeah. It is not selfish. And then I actually said, you're probably doing the world a favor, to be honest with you. It's more selfish, in my opinion, um, and this is just my opinion, to bring children into this world because with everything that's going on environmentally, I actually don't want to – I wouldn't want anybody to experience that. And because I, I do think it is a bit shit scary what's going on, if anything, I'd like to protect. And that's actually one of the reasons why I don't want children because I do want to protect mm. anything. And I, I've i been a dog mom and, and I know I'd be a great mom because I know how I, how I was as a dog mom. And my dog... My friends will tell you, I felt I had actually pushed out of my body. He was my soulmate. I loved him. And my mom was so shocked when I started telling her that I was having these dreams where he was someplace when he was alive, that he was someplace I couldn't get to him. There was some cataclysmic event, and yet I'm so worried. And she was stunned. And she goes, you're having mom dreams. Those are dreams that moms have. So I was having them about my dog. But honestly, I, the world is overpopulated. And the world, you know, I don't know what's going on. And just with this is the first time I've actually said and I've heard it from so many different people. This is not this is not just me. I've talked to so many different people who have on separate occasions have said that they are scared of this generation of children, Mm. what they can bring. Because they are, they're just glued to social media. Mm. They do not know how to interact with other human beings. Anything that they process has to be processed through, you know, Instagram, Twitter, yeah. you know, how they view themselves. And I just like want to tell these kids, I go, they're pretty much just telling you what's good about their life. You don't know what's going on in the background. Mm. And, you know, don't don't put all your security into what people think of you. On Instagram. Mm. You know, Hitler had millions of followers. Jesus had 12. Let's just put it that way. You know, just because, you know, you have 400 followers doesn't mean that you are not a great person and that you are liked. Why should that matter anymore? Yeah. And I think that's a little scary because I've had to talk to younger people mostly through text if I have to, you know, because I, I teach and they are so eloquent when they text And then when I get in front of them, they can't have a conversation with me. They can't even look me in the eye. And I realize because they don't know how to. And um, sorry, the world is getting smaller. And despite anything that may be going on, human interaction is necessary. Yeah. And so what are we heading
0: towards? I know. And it's I do worry about that. And I do worry that social media and the way that it It influences – there's an amazing um, clip on YouTube of David Bowie being interviewed in 1999 and he talks about the fact that he thinks the internet is going to be the biggest single influence on human behavior ever. And the interviewer is
1: incredulous
0: and he said, but isn't, isn't this just a tool? And he said, no. It's way more than a tool. It is going to change every aspect of our lives. And it's shocking to think that was 20 years ago. And even in the last, I guess, 18 months, we've seen the destructive power that that, you yes. know, can, can harness, particularly when...
1: It can do good as well. It
0: can. Yeah, yeah. It, it can. But it's full of... If you get past, if you get past the, the cyberbullying and you get past trolling... And, like, why, like, to, to quote from your script, you know, when did that become a thing? Right? When, yeah. when was it okay to throw stones at people and hide? I guess it's because we're not in front of somebody. It's very hard to look someone in the eye and, and say exactly the same thing. But when you're hiding behind some kind of online presence, you can do what you want. And that really, you know, morals and ethics are what we do when the lights are off and no one's watching. Well, you know what? On Twitter, no one knows who you are. Yeah. On social media, you can be anybody. And as a kid, if somebody says something about you online, that could have a profound impact in a, in a negative way on you. It could, if used for good, be a great thing. But there's not enough of the great things. You know, it's, it's all really about the destructive power of it. And you're right. There is a generation of kids who are ill-equipped to…
1: Run the world someday? Yeah. <laughs> be you our know. leaders?
0: You know? Unless there's unless I'm missing something, Greta Thunberg is something of an exception to the rule. Oh, right?
1: absolutely. You know,
0: we need more people like her in, in the world because she's got it absolutely nailed. And what I love about her is her anger at adults is so raw, so pure and so authentic that it scares us. It scares the president, right? It scares us because she is all over the way that we have treated the planet and the way that we have treated kids and she's looking at this going, you know, you have ruined the world for us. And that's why, I mean, I know it's a throwaway line in the episode that we just recorded, you know, with you, but a lot of the problem is parents. It's not necessarily kids, right? When you were talking about, you know, there's no, kids are like dogs. There's no such thing as a bad dog, only a bad dog owner, you know? So if all parents were great, this wouldn't be a problem. So what does that tell you, right? It tells you that there is a lot of bad parenting out there. And it's a huge, you know, issue. But anyway, in a positive way, we are just trying to shine a light on this and trying to empower people, particularly younger people, to say, when somebody tells you something is the done thing, just think about that and think about whether you agree with it. Because I believe the greatest gift one generation gives to another is the right to choose differently? So, for example, freedom
1: of choice. Yeah,
0: freedom of choice is if you can give a choice to somebody, whereas previously the choice for you as a little girl growing up would have been marriage, kids, mom. Right. That's that's what we're saying.
1: Uh, generally, I had a different upbringing because my father died very young. Right. And so my mom was a single mother. Mm. And she had no desire to get remarried because my dad was the love of her life. Mm. So she was actually one of the pioneers of being a single mom. In that time, you know, people generally got remarried. She entered the workforce. So she always wanted to instill independence in me because when my father died and at that time, you know, women were depending on their husbands, even though my mother was very well educated, she had said never depend on anybody but yourself. Mm. I don't care if you marry a billionaire. I want you to have a job because you don't know what's going to happen to him. Yeah. And so, she gave me that choice, and it's really different, especially you know, with the culture she came from. Yeah. To say that, but I think she's happy. She has her grandkids through my <laughs> brother, and um, and she's known for quite a long time that you know maybe I might not get married. It d- didn't interest me, mm. um, because I have had those opportunities, Um, most likely was not going to have children. And she, you know, was fine with me saying, just, do you mind if I just have a pack of dogs? (laughs) (laughs) She goes, if that makes you happy. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I often think that, you know, what you said before was that, you know, yeah, my mother wanted a daughter, not the daughter she got. I feel quite the opposite. I wish that I could have been a better daughter. I felt like my mother deserved a better daughter than what she got because I'm just kind of a hippie, (laughs) you know, just an artist floating around when she was very science-minded. yeah. But that's just her being a good mom, being worried about me, of course.
0: That's really interesting because I I think that that, what you've just highlighted there is the fact that you got, I think, the upbringing that everybody, you know, should get. That should be the dumb thing, you know, the fact that you are – able to stand up for yourself I have a friend who whose mother told her something very similar she just used a different um, expression she said no matter who you marry you need your own rainy day money which I thought was great right and that's that's the point is because then you know you're not at somebody else's beck and call you're not reliant on on somebody and you know relationships are about you know both people working hard to to make it happen but if one is entirely reliant on the other Financially, that's often, you know, uh, a, a big struggle, particularly when, when kids are, are there because, you, you know, you, it's not like, I don't know, you're not renting a car, right? It, it's a kid, right? You've, that, that is a lifelong commitment to that particular individual. But it's also you've got to have your own sense of independence because at some point that kid will grow up and leave. And what do you do then? you know, if you've clearly, you will have, hopefully you will have loved it and cared for it up until that point And then, you know, forever, but at some point that kid is going to grow up and want to pursue their own, their own course. And I think it's great that, you know, that there are mothers out there that teach their kids to be as independent, particularly females to be as independent as, as possible, because that is the only way that we can get rid of this bullshit narrative that, you know, that currently exists. And
1: you know what's really interesting, um, just for your next season to think about uh, the differences between how men are treated and women are treated because sometimes we don't know. I don't know. I didn't know. I, as you know, I have my own podcast, and I had on a transgender right. and uh, she is a friend. Mm-hmm. i I met her when she was a he she's now a she and she's great. And I was able to ask her, what is is the proper title? How do I go about approaching this? But one of the things that really I was very fascinated with was how people have treated her and how different it was from being a man to being treated as a man and identified as a man to then being identified as a woman. And Now, that answer was extraordinary, and um, I leave you to take that journey on your own. I don't want to give it away, but I will say one of the things that stood out, and I was laughing because my podcast partner, whom I love dearly, he's one of my best friends, he loves to interrupt me, and it's something that um, a lot of my friends and some fans have said to me. It's like, you know, you're great, except he tends to interrupt you, and so (laughs) what— What my ad- friend had said when I interviewed her was, uh, I get interrupted a lot. And <laughs> I thought, and I was like, oh my God. I go, because I didn't realize that it was just a female thing, that females tend to get interrupted. And she clarified, oh, yes, it is. I never got interrupted when I was a man. Wow. As a female, all the time, it's like, I can't even get a thought through. And what's funny is is that I mentioned this to my podcast partner and I brought up the fact, listen, you tend to talk over me and not let me finish what I'm saying and not let me get a word in. To his credit, he's improved drastically, but he said quite honestly, I didn't even know I was doing it. Yeah. But the thing is, men, I want you to realize that while you you may not realize it, but why are you not interrupting your fellow men? And why you feel it's okay to interrupt women? Yeah. Because our voices aren't good enough to be heard. Our opinions—it's not worth it. We're too emotional. I mean, what?
0: I'm trying to agree yeah. without interrupting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you get it. But. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's and and that's that's part of you know this whole anthology project is really all about what are the issues out there that nobody's calling out that nobody's really talking about, and that that's fascinating. So. She's now being exposed to a set of experiences as a woman that she never had as a man. Yes. That's remarkable.
1: Even in terms of her own safety. Right. What time she can go out at, at night alone. Mm. I mean, really, it, 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 was, it was a multitude of things, but it was extraordinary.
0: Yeah, I bet. So. Wow. Well, there's certainly something in the extent to which gender and maternity Go hand in hand. I'd really like to explore that.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: You know, because I think there's 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 probably a lot of stories out there that haven't been that haven't been told. I have um, a friend of mine is in a same-sex marriage um, two women, and they have a beautiful baby daughter. Who it's a privilege to know that there are children out there growing up in a world in which that's an entirely normal family dynamic. You know. It's basically I have two moms, right?
1: And people don't, and the kids don't question it.
0: Kids don't question it. They don't question it because they just accept it, you know. Nobody's born a racist. Nobody's born, you know, a misogynist. That is a thing that happens to you because of what you are exposed to in your formative years. And this whole confirmation bias thing, back to social media, if you only surround yourself with people that, Reinforce these views. That's the only view that you will have, which is why I think it's incumbent on all of us to ask questions like the one that you asked. You know, what experiences have you had as a woman? And I'd love to. I'll, I'll listen to it, but I'd love to know actually how how she reacted to that, because there must have been some holy crap. I had no idea. You know that this is going on, right? I'm assuming that that because if you're a man, you see the world. Through male eyes. And if you then change that lens, I bet the world looks really different. Yeah. Not in a good way at times as well.
1: (laughs) There are times I promise you, I wished I was just born a man. Right. Just to have some of the privileges. Yeah. That, you know, I mean, God, at least we can have a profession now. I mean, back in the Jane Austen period where (laughs) you had, I mean, oh, God, that's scary. Yeah. It's like you can't even have a profession. Yeah. At least uh, women have come a long way. And speaking of which, further.
0: I wanted to thank you for helping shape the episode that we just recorded. Oh, it's um, my
1: pleasure. Thank you for just encouraging me and being directing me and being there for me.
0: Cool. Thank you very much for inviting
1: me. I'm so <laughs> privileged to be part of this amazing cast of British Actors whom I admire so much, and as you know, I, I trained in England myself, so this is indeed such an honor as the Token Yankee. <laughs>
0: For me too. Thanks very much, <laughs> Romy.
1: Thank you. You say this is the end of the line.
0: The end of the line is an ink jockey production. Music by Daisy Chute and
1: Carrie Ann from the Herd Collective.
0: This is nothing.